through the years, that's why I started calling myself. saying something about food. I didn't know if you looked up an appetite conquering death. Needless to say, we were terrified, excited, I wonder if that's why we love Easter so much is because it becomes so much less about us and it becomes all about Christ and his love for us. Have you ever taken a walk in the cemetery just because? I'm going to confess as a pastor, it's one of the places that I go. I don't have any family buried in Clark County or anywhere in Washington that I'm aware of. But every couple of months months or so when I get introspective, my heart is just drawn to a cemetery to walk among the tombstones and the gravestones there and just drink in the quietness. There are seldom, there are few and far between places that you can go where you can kind of look death in the eye, look life in the eye as a cemetery. And so as a pastor, that's something that I've done over, off and on over the years is every couple of months or so, I just 
because I want to, because I need to, I'm just drawn to that place. I don't know anybody there. And I'll pass a tombstone that'll say, our angel was never born, but we will always love her and cannot wait to see her again soon. Or to a loving mother of 65 years, one day we'll meet again. Many of them say, I am the resurrection and the life, continually pointing us back to the Easter truth and the power of this day and what Christ has done. My first pastor, when I became a Christian, Easter Sunday, 21 years ago, thank the Lord, kind of pointed me on this practice. And there are several pastors that I know that when it becomes a time of moment of introspection, they get drawn to the cemetery. Are you freaked out about pastors now? We do some strange things, but it is one of the few places where God can remind us of everything in between the day that we were born, the dash, and the day that we die. And so many times we're so busy doing the dash that we don't even take time to think about what it exactly is that we are doing. And 21 years ago, this Easter Sunday, God brought me to a place where it would no longer be what I wanted to do, but what he wanted me to do through his power and through his strength. And the Lord said to me that, Monday, that Sunday morning after a cantata was sung and a, a poem was read, that I have greater plans for you than you could ever conjure up on your own. I have bigger dreams for you to dream and more exciting places for you to go than you could ever conjure up on your own. And I said at that moment of surrender, Lord, wherever it is that you want me to do, I'll do. Wherever it is you want me to go, I will go. And however long you want me to stay, I'll stay. And here we are this morning talking about cemeteries and death. <laughs> God is certainly amazing. But more than just cemeteries and death, it is the message of the resurrection. I could not imagine taking a stroll um, I have a, a memorial service to do this Thursday for a saint in our church who is well-loved and revered. And I can imagine, cannot imagine going to that cemetery and walking and seeing along the sides of those who have given so much of their life to those we loved, there's no hope for tomorrow. I wish there was a resurrection. Or maybe written, if only, with question marks. I cannot imagine living a life like that. And the, the power of Easter, the power of Christ's resurrection, Paul prayed we would know him in, inside of ourselves, know the power of the resurrection in our own life. And, and I don't know about you, but that can be kind of a tricky wicket to try to figure out, okay, I cannot physically resurrect myself from the grave. So what is exactly Paul trying to say to us? that we in our own lives would, would know, would understand, and I think even more importantly experience the power of what Jesus did on Easter Sunday morning every day of our life. We don't have, and I don't think any of us here have the resources to, to go every Easter Sunday to Israel and look at where they think Jesus rose from the dead. But in our own lives and in our hearts, we can experience the grace of God in the fact that he gives us new life every morning. Amen? He gives us grace and mercy. The Bible said God's mercy endures forever. And so he is a living testament to his Father's love that every morning he meets with us. Every morning he washes away our sin. Every morning he gives us hope for tomorrow. 
every morning he fills us with himself. Today, I just want to share a couple of ideas that the Lord laid on my heart about what Jesus does, Jesus does for you and what Jesus did for me that Sunday morning. They're really simple things that we we'll all have heard before. We're all going to understand them. It is my prayer that it is your experience in your own life that God has done these things through, for you through the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the first thing that I thought of this Easter week was that Jesus has come to deliver me from my past. Aren't you thankful for that? You see, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm the kind of person, even if I wasn't uh, a public speaker, even if I wasn't a pastor, I'm not the kind of guy that likes to get up and, and, and you know, tell you about my laundry list of faults because I have them. No one shout amen. <laughs> I have them. We all do, right? We all have sin that is besetting us. We all have trials and tribulations. We all have decisions that we've made days or weeks or months or years ago that we, we think of when we go to bed at night. Or whenever it is that the devil tries to bring those choices from the past crashing back into your mind, crashing back into your heart. And so many times I've had people come to me and say, Pastor, I can't serve in the church because of something that I've done. You know, oh, usually it's years ago. And my first thought in my mind is, well, then why did Jesus die on the cross? If he didn't come to deliver us from our past, then why did he come at all? The very fact that there's nothing that we could do to change the of our life implies that Jesus had to come. It was the only way that we could be delivered. It was the only way that we could be free was so that Jesus could come and deliver us from our past. Think of Peter in the Gospels. Passionate excitable. I mean, he was a go-getter, right? If something needed to be said, he did it. If an ear needed chopped off, man, he did it. And then Jesus said, hey, that's not the way. And I mean, you talk about a man with regrets. Peter and Paul and some of the most powerful men in the Bible had a past that we were just like, wow, I can't even imagine. Jesus came for all of us. So that whatever was done in the past could be under the blood, could be forgiven, and in God's eyes, forgotten. But we're all human, right? How easy is it for you to forget your past? If you're anything like me, it feels impossible sometimes. But the Bible doesn't say that Jesus came to forget our sins, it says that he came to what? To forgive them. To set us free from the penalty of our sin so that we can live a life of purity and passion and purpose for him. And there is not a feeling on this earth, I just want to tell you, there's not a feeling on this earth that is more exciting, that is more freeing, that is more thrilling than to know that you are completely perfectly and forever forgiven. Can I get an amen? There's not a better feeling in the world than to know that I will never have to be good enough. I will never have to try hard enough. It's okay to fail. It's okay to let God down because Jesus came in order to forgive us of our past. Remember the story in the Bible where 
Jesus said, you're going to deny me, and Peter says, never. I think if Peter could do life over again, he'd have kept his mouth shut a lot more than he did. But we know what happened when the Spirit came, right? He was a changed man because his past was forgiven. He had a new passion, a new purpose. But before the cross, he would, he would just be, you know, zealous to a fault. But I will never deny you. And Jesus said, you know what? Before this day is over, you'll deny me three times, and then the rooster will crow. And you know what happened? Little kids came and said, you're one of them. No. Some girl came. You are one of them. No, it wasn't me. And then the last one came, and he got so angry, he started cursing at them. One of his darker moments. He was cursing, he was denying, and he was yelling at little kids. Remember what Jesus said about those who mistreat the little ones? Put a rock around their neck and throw them in the ocean. That's pretty harsh. Remember the next time Jesus saw Peter? What did he do? He called him to himself. He literally cooked him a meal. And he asked Peter again, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He wanted Peter to remember the three times that he had messed up before. God was giving him a new chance to start over because his past was forgiven and forgotten. Jesus can do the forgiving part. We have to ask the Holy Spirit to help us to let go of the choices that we've made. God can forgive us, and we also have to have the strength through his spirit to let go of our past. Just as there's no greater joy than to have our sins forgiven, there probably is no greater burden to live our lives unforgiven. Bound by the chains that strangle us, by the struggles that gnaw at our spirit and our soul, wage war in our homes and our nation. Jesus came to set us free from our past. The Bible doesn't really talk a whole lot about the next thing I want to share this morning, but, but Jesus came in order to to deliver us through our struggles. Did you catch how I said that? It's important. <laughs> I wish sometimes that it would be different, don't you? I wish that I could have said that and, and know that it was true, that Jesus came to deliver us from our struggles. Um, has he done that for you every time you prayed about it? I have to be honest with you, for the most part, I've given up on that prayer because I already know the answer. <laughs> He's come to deliver us through our struggles. It's been one of the great privileges of my life in each of the churches that I've served in is to, to have people in the congregation invite me, invite my family into the struggles that they're facing. It might be something they're going through physically, and it may be a very long journey for them. And the fact that I would be invited into their struggle to pray with them and visit with them in the hospital and and encourage them and, and cry with them and laugh with them is, is one of the greatest gifts you can give your pastor or anyone in your life. It is a, a sacred honor that we're allowed into each other's suffering. And there's something to be said about Jesus in, in, in human form. There's just something about human flesh 
wrapped around human flesh that feels like nothing else on earth. But the Bible says that God sent his spirit into our lives so that when we walk through the waters, they will not get over our heads and drown us. When we walk through the fire, we will not be scorched to the point that no one will recognize us. And many of you have heard the idea of God being a a refiner's fire in our life. But the message of Easter is so powerful for me, and I think can be so powerful for all of us, is the fact that in the middle of our struggles, I mean, Paul wrote this from prison. He'd been beaten, he'd been shipwrecked, he'd been lied about, he'd been falsely accused. I mean, I mean, you name it, he'd been, he'd been doing it. In fact, he was so maimed that he had to ask someone else to write. He literally couldn't hold a pen. All for Jesus, all for the gospel. That's how greatly he had suffered. And he prayed for us that in the middle of our horribleness, our misery, our suffering, our agony, our tragedies, that we would know the power of Jesus' resurrection in the middle of, through, and at the other end of our sufferings. I don't know how Paul could have done it any other way, could you? To be lost at sea, to be beaten, to be falsely accused. To have his life taken away because he shared the gospel with those around him. Yet he said, nevertheless, it is not I, but Christ who lives within me. I am crucified with Christ. I press forward to the mark of the high calling that is within me through Christ Jesus. There is a future for us because Jesus is working through our past. He delivers us through our struggles. And I just want to ask you this morning, have you ever gone through a struggle without Christ? It's been a long time since I have. And I don't ever want to go through that again. Whether you're taking a walk to the cemetery or you're trying to corral crying children, if you're trying to hold down a job that you're just not sure is going to last, if you're thinking about saying goodbye to a loved one who may not be here much longer, if you're still learning how to say goodbye, and a thousand other scenarios that you and I could go through and name and talk about today, The fact of the matter is, Easter is so powerful is because Jesus is stronger. Maybe the three greatest words that have ever been said in the English language were what Jesus said on the cross when he yelled out, it is finished. There's only one thing that needed done in order for us to be forgiven, to be freed, and to be filled for a future, and that is that Jesus would have to die. And pay the penalty for our sins. But the Bible also talks about the fact that he suffered in every point that, is we, that we have suffered. There's nothing that you and I have gone through or will ever go through that is beyond the understanding of, of the Lord Jesus. The fact that he took on human flesh. The fact that he came to us as a child. Born in a place where little animals would first be born. Shows us that he's humble enough to sit in the middle of our fear, to sit alongside of us, anger or our frustration or our loneliness or our anger or whatever it is that we're facing in our life. Maybe we're hurting and we just don't know how to 
really touch the hurt and what it really is. The scripture, my favorite verses of all time, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, who never leaves us or forsakes us in the middle of our struggles. So he comes to deliver us from our past, from comes to dwell with us in the middle of our todays and our tomorrows. I tell those of you who aren't with us normally, I tell our congregation a lot, the, the truths of the Bible are really simple, aren't they? There's nothing about what I said that, that is too difficult for any of us to understand. The tricky part is how we experience in our life. What do you do with God when you feel alone and you don't even know that he's there? Is he still there? What do you do with God when you've been praying for years for an answer to prayer and it just doesn't seem that anything is happening? What do you do with him then? When it feels like the veil of our soul is overwhelmed by the darkness of our world, what do you do with God then? And when people come to me in that place in their life, there's only one verse that comes to my mind, and it says, when we do not know how to pray, Jesus is praying on our behalf. In fact, if I remember the verse right, it says that sometimes, I'm, I'm interpolating here, that Jesus prays with groanings that cannot be uttered, is the words of the Scripture. It, it almost feels like in the middle of our agony, Jesus doesn't even know the right words. It's just the fact that he utters his breath to God is a reminder to us that he is here. And then when we don't know, we still cling to the one who does. Because, third and lastly today, our future, because of our future. Remember my first graveside service. I was 23. I'd barely preached my first sermon at this point. And we had a, a really great family in our church in, in Ohio. And his dad had grown up in Kentucky, moved back there right before he died. And they were going to do a service in Kentucky. And then the next week, they're going to bring him to Ohio, and they're going to have a graveside, just a graveside service there. I'd never met any of the family. I'd never met the father who was going to be buried. I was just beginning to get to know his son and their family, and, and thankfully, we became friends over the years. And, and I still remember gathering that morning. It was a beautiful, sunny, hot, humid, normal uh, Ohio summer morning. I don't miss those at all, by the way. I love the rain and the cool. But the family gathered there, and I didn't know if 10 people were going to be there, 20 people. There was like 150. I was just a swarm. And I was like, oh, Lord, help me. <laughs> I, was, I don't know that I've ever been so nervous before. And uh, trying to mingle, uh, we got there early, meet the family, and, and I was shaking hands with different ones. And, and one, of the, one of the, I don't know, I was, like I said, 23 at this time, and this lady who was I would have guessed in her young 50s. I didn't think of her as old. She came up to me. She didn't take my hand. She's like, are you really the preacher? And I looked around. I was like, yeah, I think so. She's like, you're too young to be the pastor. And I was like, well, I guess I got a lot of work to do, don't I? And didn't let that throw me off. The Lord helped us to make it through that first service. 
And then after everyone had left, I just, that just, I just needed some time with God after that. I, I, could, I can't explain it. It was just kind of not what I was expecting. And I remember walking along through the cemetery, and I came across, I don't remember the name or the dates or anything. But I'll never forget the small phrase that was written on this person's tombstone. It just said these few words, above all else, Jesus is enough for me. And I think that's, for me, why Easter is so powerful. Is that because I have a past, Jesus is enough for me to go forward. I know that I will have struggles. We all know that, right? Some of us more than others. I I know that I'm going to face difficulties in ministry and in family and sharing the gospel and who knows what the church in America will look like 30 years from now. But in my struggles, Jesus is enough for me. And in our futures with him, my hope is built on nothing less than, finish it for me, Jesus' blood and righteousness. The power of the Easter for me is that seems so filled with myself that it feels so hard to feel like there's hope for tomorrow, that there's power for tomorrow, that there's a future that Jesus has for me because I'm so stuck in me and my life, and I can't let go of me and my life long enough to hold on to him and his resurrection. But the fact of the matter is, That's why Jesus came, so we could do exactly that. So that no matter what you have written on your tombstone, and the saying may be much more powerful than I read on the tombstone of that day, that Jesus is enough for you. Because no matter where we've been and no matter what we've done, he'll forgive it all. Jesus is enough for me, despite everywhere that I've been and everything that I've done. We could all tell a story of the agony of living life today. The agony of losing a loved one, the agony of losing a job, the agony of a sickness that's only going to get worse, the agony of saying goodbye, the agony of loneliness, and a thousand other hurts that we could have in this life. But the power of the Easter story is that in the middle of all of those things, we can say with a heart of confidence that Jesus is enough for me in the middle of the darkness. There's not a lot I can tell you about your I'm not that kind of pastor. I'm not the kind of pastor that hands out the gold, literally gold-plated offering plate and says, if you give enough, God will bless you. We know and the power of the message is that we'll all be born again, right? With a new body and a new hope and a new heaven and a new earth. And the Bible can only go so far to explain to us what that will be like. All I know is that the streets are made of gold, and that sounds good enough for me. In fact, every physical description that we read about there are are items that I will never be able to afford in this life. You You know how 
people go to Hollywood, or we were at Disneyland and you can buy a brick with your name on it. I don't think any of us can afford a brick of gold in heaven with our name on it. We don't have to. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, we have a future that is beyond our wildest imagination. But the hope for me is gold-plated streets or the gates of crystal and literally, I mean, words of descriptive beauty that are beyond my ability to match. The beauty of that place is it says that there will be no light needed there because of the He will fill the place with his radiant beauty and love. And Jesus said to his church, guys, it's gonna be all right. I'm leaving you right now, but I'm gonna come back someday and I'm gonna bring you back to the place that I've been building for you. And despite our past and our struggles, Jesus is building a future for us that will last for all of eternity. And it will be more beautiful and more powerful than anything we could have ever imagined on this earth. And the hope for the church has always been in the unimaginable certainty of tomorrow. We're gonna ask our worship team now to come and they're gonna lead us in a song of closing. We have that hope because Jesus paid it all for us. And that's the song that we're gonna sing together. Jesus paid it all so that we could know freedom. Stand together.